So last week, or excuse me, a couple weeks ago, we kicked off a little mini-series on the book of Psalms, and we're going to wrap that up today. And if you remember, a couple weeks ago when Pastor Chris, he kicked off this series on the book of Psalms, he told us that the book of Psalms is unlike most pieces of scripture, because the book of Psalms is actually 150 different pieces of literature that were written over the span of a thousand years, and some are songs, some of these pieces of literature are prayers, uh, some are laments, others are poems, there are 150 different pieces written over a span of a thousand different years. And what happened was at some point in history, somebody sat down and compiled all of these psalms together into one book, into one volume. And that's where we get the book of Psalms. Now, what we talked about a couple weeks ago, too, was if you remember, when the person, whoever it was, sat down to compile the book of Psalms, they didn't just do so accidentally. Like, they're just like, oh, I'll grab this, I'll grab that, slap it together, staple it, and turn it in. No. Okay? They didn't do that. That would be silly. Instead, what they did was they did it with intentionality. And as you read the book of Psalms, you really begin to see how intentional this book was structured. And what we've been looking at in an attempt to understand the book of Psalms, to help us be able to engage it more closely, is we've been looking at the introduction to the book of Psalms. We've been looking at the introduction. And now, most of us didn't even realize there was an introduction to the book of Psalms. But as we got into it, and as we saw, we saw that the first two Psalms were intentionally placed at the beginning of the book to give us the lenses to be able to read the rest of the book. Remember this? And so last week I told you those lenses that Psalm 1 and 2 give us, they're like the lenses you get when you go to a 3D movie. Right? And we've talked about it. All of us have been to 3D movies, and you don't need the glasses to watch a 3D movie, right? Any more than you need Psalm 1 and Psalm 2 to read the book of Psalms. You could easily just pick up the Psalms and read through it just as well as you could walk into a movie theater and watch a movie. The difference is this. When you put the glasses on in a 3D movie, the movie just has this whole nother level of clarity to it, and it's as if the movie itself comes alive, right? It's like these people, they're getting close to you, and you're able to engage them. The same is true in the book of Psalms. You don't need to understand Psalm 1 and Psalm 2 to read the book. And that's why for many of you for years, you've never needed it to be able to understand the book of Psalms. You've just been able to jump into it. But what we saw is when you actually have the proper lenses, that book comes alive. That book just becomes so much more real and clear and engaging. And so what I told you last week I wanted to do is this. I want to put the glasses on. I want to put Psalm 1 and Psalm 2. I want to see the Psalms as God intended us, or the psalmist at least, intended us to read the book of Psalms. And then I want to play in it this morning. I want to just open it up and look around and see what it is. And as we do, here's the thing that's going to happen. You're going to realize as we play in the book of Psalms just how alive this book is, how dynamic it is, how adaptable it is for all walks of life, all ages, at all stages. It's an incredible book. And what you're going to see and what I hope to show you more than anything else today is that the book of Psalms has this incredible ability to both speak to us and speak for us. The book is alive and has an ability to speak to us and for us. What I mean by speak to us, this is pretty simple, is as you read the book of Psalms, it teaches us. It's as if God himself, or at least the psalmist themselves, is trying to reveal something about God, 
about ourselves, you know, who we were created to be, how we were to live, how God created the universe, all those things, those are communicated to us. But it's more than just information about God. The Psalms also reveal to us how we are to engage God, how we are to approach God, how we are to interact with God. That's how they speak to us. But as we're also gonna see, the Psalms do more than just speak to us. Every book of scripture speaks to us. The difference with the book of Psalms is they have this incredible ability to speak for us. Just like a good song, right? You've all experienced this. A good song lyric that you're just listening to and you're like, oh, that song just resonates for me. It said something. It was taking my thoughts, my ideas, my frustrations, and it just said it so well. And you just, you tack onto that and you just express it that way. The Psalms have this incredible ability to do that. In other words, what the Psalms do in coming alive when we're able to properly read them is this. The Psalms give us an incredible ability to know how to approach God, to connect God, to interact with God, but more important than anything else, the Psalms allow us to have a relationship with God, an interactive relationship with God, and that's what I want to show you this morning. Because here's the reason. I believe that every single one of you, whether you're a cradle Catholic or my favorite, a uterine Lutheran or a, I know that's a good one, whether you've been raised in church your entire life or this is your first time in church in forever, first time in church in forever, every single one of us longs for a relationship with God. Every single one of us longs to know God deeper. Every single one of us longs to hear from him, to speak to him, to know him, and be known by him. I believe every single one of us wants that. I know I'm making an assumption, but that's my assumption. I think it's fair for us to do that. And what I'm saying is I believe that the book of Psalms enable us to do that, and I want to show you how this morning. So what I'm going to do is very simple. We're going to put on our glasses I'm going to remind you of what we've covered the last two weeks, and then we're going to see how the Psalms speak to us and how they speak for us. All right, let's, let's put on some glasses. Um, if you remember, Pastor Chris, he, a couple weeks ago, he kicked off our understanding of the introduction to the book of Psalms when he covered Psalm 1, and then I covered Psalm 2 last week. And what we saw is this. Psalm 1 and Psalm 2 teach us there's two ways to live. There's God's way which leads to a life of meaningfulness, security, prosperity, stability. And then there's not God's way, which really goes nowhere. Psalm 2 says it leads to your destruction. Psalm 1 says it's a life of meaninglessness, emptiness. It's like chaff that's just tossed around in the wind. It has nothing to hold it or give it weight or merit. Two ways to live. The way we enter into the life that God offers us, Psalm 1 tells us, is we have to listen to our king. The psalmist says we are to delight and meditate on what it is that our God has to say. And again, Pastor Chris, he beautifully demonstrated what this is. When he was chewing on what does it mean to meditate on God's law, he told us it, to meditate isn't like we think of meditation in the yoga sense where it's this emptying of your mind, right? Like, oh, and the goal of meditation is to empty your mind. That's the complete opposite of the biblical understanding of meditate. 
To meditate means the concepts that God speaks so fill your mind, so fill your ideas that it's all you end up thinking about. And so you're constantly chewing on it and turning it over again in your head and pulling out the nuances and the significance of what is being said. And as you do this, not only does it begin to shape the way that you think, but that will ultimately shape the way that you act. And so we first, we hear our, our king and what it is that he has to say, and we delight in his words because they are good for us. But the other thing we saw in Psalm 2 is that we aren't just supposed to hear the king. We're called to respond to the king. Remember in Psalm 2, it starts out with the nations grumbling and declaring they want freedom from God. They don't want to follow God. They want to do their own things. We want freedom. And so then they, they grumble for a little while, and what does God do? He laughs at them, like, oh, it's so cute. You got your plans. That's not going to happen. But it's so cute that you tried anyways. And God goes, no, here's actually the way it's going to go. This is important. God allows the people space to grumble. God allows. Psalm 2 shows us. They have the space to grumble. But at the end of the day, God lays down the final word. He goes, this is the way it's going to be. And so he says, I have installed my king, my anointed one, in Zion on my holy hill. That's it. He doesn't speak words of judgment. He doesn't speak words of condemnation. He just has the final word. This is what it is. And then the last six verses of the book of Psalms is the king, the anointed one, chewing on what it is that the king said. He said, okay, God said this, that I have installed my king. What does that mean? And he chews on it. Everything Psalm 1 taught us to do. And then he reflects and he comes to this place where he goes, okay, Having listened to what the king says, listen up, you nations. Listen up, you people. It's time to wise up. You've been warned. Let's respond appropriately to God. You are to serve him. Remember, you're to shriek joyously that this God is on your side, and you are to submit sincerely to him as your king. These are all things we looked at last week. And so what we see in the Psalms is this. When we approach the Psalms, we need to have in mind that we need to hear from our king and we need to respond to our king. Now, the other big thing that I want to hit on this is, we talked about this the last couple weeks as well. In order to hear the king, you can't just pick up the book, read it once, shut it, and walk away. Unless you've got a photographic memory, you can't do that, right? Because honestly, I do this all the time. And typically what I do is I walk around with my phone as I'm trying to meditate on scripture because I can remember for about 10 seconds and then I forget and I have to look again what it said. And that's what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to continue to chew on it. And so this morning, as we put those lenses on, the ability to hear from God, respond to God, I want to show you how this book both speaks to us and for us. Let's start by how it speaks to us. And we're going to start off real simple. I'm just going to throw a couple psalms up. These are ones that are very familiar to you, especially this first one. It comes out of Psalm 23, and you'll see it on the screen. It says this, The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his namesake. And even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Okay, I told you, the Psalms have this incredible ability to speak to us and speak for us. The only way we're able to understand them is with the lenses. And so we have to ask ourselves first and foremost, what is the king saying? And then how are we to respond to the king? So look at the words. 
As you reflect on it, as you chew on it, ask yourselves, what is the king saying? One of the ways to ask yourself, what is the king saying, is to say, okay, what is God trying to reveal about himself? What is God trying to reveal about us? What is God trying to reveal about how we are to live? Those three questions are really helpful. So look at it again. Ask yourself those questions. What does this say about God? What does this say about us? How are we supposed to live? Now here's the thing. This is one of those psalms that many of you have probably heard, especially in a funeral context. I've preached on this sermon or on this psalm many, many times in a funeral. And the thing that I draw out as I reflect on this, as I do this process of chewing on the psalm, is I see that this psalm says a lot about who God is. Specifically, I see in this that it says that God is for us and God is with us. God is for us. Look, it says, I lack nothing because of who God is. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. It doesn't say God seeks to tax me to the point of exhaustion. God's desire is to break me so that I am just feeble before his hands. It doesn't say that. It says God knows exactly what's best for me. He seeks what's best for me because God is for me. God wants the best for me. So how do I respond to that? If that's what the king said, how do I respond to that? What I do is this. When I pick up the word and I chew on it and I read through other parts of scripture and I listen to God's commands or God's instructions, I have to stop and go, okay, if God is really for me, how is this command good for me? Do you understand what I'm doing? I'm chewing on it. I'm allowing the Lord to speak to me and I'm responding it. I also said, though, that I think this one shows that God is not only for us, but he's with us. Verse 4, even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. This is usually where it comes up in funerals, right? And it's so true. In those darkest moments of life, our God promises to be with us. When you walk into the doctor's office and they hand you that scary diagnosis, God promises he's there with you in that moment. When you're at work and you're just getting berated and attacked constantly for whatever it is, God is with you in that moment. Whatever your scary situation is, you're having a fight with somebody and it's like that relationship is on the rocks, God is with you in that moment. I just think that's incredibly significant for us to chew on today. But I want to show you more. I want to show you continually how the Psalms speak to us. Let's look at the next one. This one comes out of Psalm 139. Again, very famous Psalm. It says this, and I've chopped it up a little. You have searched me, O Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. For you are familiar with all my ways. You knit me together in my mother's womb, and I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. Okay, what are we doing? We're chewing on it. Asking ourselves, what does this say about God? What does this say about us? Is God asking us to do something? The thing that again sticks out to me in this is, and you can have other reflections, you can have other reflections, but the one that sticks out to me is the intimate knowledge God has of us. Do you catch this? I mean, look, you know when I sit and when I rise. 
You perceive my thoughts from heart. You discern my going out and my lying down. You're familiar with all my ways. In some contexts, this would be like some creepy stalker, right? Like, you know everything about me. Like, that's just creepy. But in this case, it's, it's read a little differently. It's like a parent or, or a loved one or a spouse or like how you feel towards your friend, right? Like, when you think about them, this is what I was thinking about. When my wife goes through and she has a stressful meeting, I know what time of day it is, I know where she's at in that meeting, and I'm mindful of her. I'm thinking about her. When she gets up to go to work in the morning, I go, oh yeah, she, she left in the morning. I'm intentionally mindful. And I imagine you did this with your children, you do this with your friends, you're just thinking about them constantly. And as parents, you probably take this to a new level about this idea when you look over your child and you go, look, I am so familiar with you. I, when you were a baby, I counted your freckles. You know, God counts your hairs, but that's a little intense for me. I just counted the freckles. Or you looked at it even more and you're like, I, I know that little twitch that your nose has or that weird gasps you make. I, I know how insecure you are in these areas, but I know how confident you can be in these areas. I am familiar with all your ways. And God takes this to a new level and says, I am so much more aware of you than you have any idea. I care so much for you. And more than that, I knit you together. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. You are exactly as I want. And the psalmist declares, your works are wonderful. I know it full well. So how do we, this psalmist models both how to reflect and how to respond. He's in awe of who God is. And so he speaks his praises to God in the midst of this. This is incredible. The psalms have this ability to speak to us to teach us about God, to teach us about ourselves, to teach us different things. But now they also have this incredible ability to show us how to approach God. Look at this next psalm. This is incredible. This comes Psalm 150, the end of the book. It says, praise the Lord. Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty heavens. Praise him for his mighty deeds. Praise him according to his excellent greatness. Praise him with the sounding of trumpet. Praise him with harp and lyre. Praise him with timbrel and dancing. And it goes on and on and on. This guy is just oozing excitement. You think I'm intense. Look at this guy. This guy has such a passion for God. And so what does this tell us about God? Okay, I mean, yes, he has these mighty deeds and stuff, but really it's more showing us or modeling for us how we are to enter into his presence. Uninhibited, full of joy, letting it go. But now look at this other psalm. Have mercy on me, O Lord, for I am faint. Heal me, Lord, for my bones are in agony. My soul is in deep anguish. How long, Lord, how long? I'm worn out from my groaning. All night long I flood my bed with weeping and drench my couch with tears. You can't get more polar opposite than these two psalms, right? You have a guy who's so on fire, and then you have a guy who literally can bring nothing but his wet couch before the Lord. What you see in the Psalms is incredible. What you see in the Psalms is this incredible range of emotion. Everything from anger to loneliness to fear to hope to joy to zeal to contrition. All of these ideas are in the Psalms. And what we see in them is that God invites us into his presence as we are. 
God wants us to be real, and he wants us to bring our baggage, the good stuff, absolutely, but the bad stuff, and even the horrific. This next verse, this is one I've never heard preached on in church, and you're going to realize it real quick. Happy is the one who seizes your infants and dashes them against the rocks. This is a horrible, horrible verse. You read this, and I, I don't even want to skip over it. I want that to soak in. It's terrible. Horrific. You wonder who in their right mind thought this was a good idea to add to the Bible. And then you go, okay, well, maybe it's out of context. That's not what it meant. Nope. I'll tell you the context in a minute. That's the context. This, God, this guy said this to God. Here's something interesting. This is one of those verses that people pull out all the time and point in the scriptures and go, how can you believe a God who says this? How can you believe in a God who allows this? A couple things. Number one, God didn't say this. This is a man that said this. And when, I'll show you the context in just a minute. This is a man that said this, but also at no point does God condone this thinking. The context really opens this psalm up. When you read it, the beginning of the psalm in 137, it's this, it talks of on the banks of Babylon. In other words, this psalmist is writing this right in the wake of the destruction of Jerusalem. Babylon has come in, they've torn down the city walls, they've burned the buildings, they've destroyed the temple. In doing so, they murdered innocent people. This man probably saw all of this happen. For all we know, he held them in his arms as they died. Maybe his children died, at least his nieces, nephews. He saw things happen. And so he's sitting there on the banks of Babylon, and this is where he just loses it because the Babylonians come up to him and they go, hey, sing us one of your Jewish songs. Sing us one of the songs of your homeland. Tell us of how great your life is. And he loses it. He snaps. He can't control his emotion anymore, and he just oozes, and he just goes, I hate you. Babylon, die. Babylon, you're going to be destroyed. Happy is the one who seizes your infants and dashes them on the rock. He has this hatred that just oozes from him unfilteredly. He can't control himself. You don't blame him when you read this. But the incredible thing about this is God allows this broken, wrecked individual to enter into his presence. Exactly as you are, because that's where the guy is right now. He's not in a place where he's able to have himself cleaned up. He's not in a place where he's thinking clearly. He's not there. He's broken. And so church, what we read in the midst of this, what we see in the book of Psalms is this. God invites us to come exactly as we are into his presence. God doesn't want us to be pretentious. God doesn't want us to be fake. God doesn't want you to somehow clean your act up and then come to him. He says, no, come to me. You're good, you're bad, you're broken, you're horrific. Bring it into my presence. 
It's very clear that God does not allow this man to act on this. The rest of scripture makes that abundantly clear that this is prohibited. But what this psalm does more than anything else is it reveals to us that God wants us to enter into his presence with exactly where we are. And so the question is this, is that how you worship? Is that how you enter into God's presence? And I'm not saying you gotta bring your horrific stuff right now. You may not be there. But do you come into him unhindered? Like Psalm 150, yeah, shout for joy. Do you come in broken? We have this thing in our culture, not just grace, but really American Christianity. And I, I didn't come up with this phrase, but somebody else did, it's called church face. And church face is this face you put on the moment you step foot out of your car when you get to church. And it doesn't matter that you just ripped your, chi your children a new one. It doesn't matter that you're about to go and sign divorce papers on Thursday. It doesn't matter if you just had the worst week of your life, you put on church face. And you walk in and when people ask how you're doing, you go, good, good, you know, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Church face. Another one that gets me on this is you could be on the other side of the spectrum and life is just going so well. You have seen God move in incredible ways. You've seen him take care of you, be it financially. You've seen a relationship mended. You've experienced his grace anew and then you enter into worship and you sing a song like, bless the Lord, oh my soul. Oh my soul. Worship his holy name. And like, I'm not critiquing the ability of your singing because you just heard my ability to sing. What I'm getting at though is there's this disconnect we have so often when we come into worship where these things that God is doing in our lives, we don't actually allow ourselves to express them. It's like we're afraid to lift our hands because we're afraid of what our armpits smell like, but who cares? Church, what we saw in the way that the Psalms speak to us is that God loves you so much, so intimately. He created you with all your quirks and your stinky armpits, and he wants you to enter in exactly as you are, with your good, your bad, your broken, your horrific, and lay it at his feet. Don't just allow this, this, this dichotomy to happen where you have this feeling inside of you that isn't expressed on the outside. Allow them to match and bring that. The Psalms teach us. This is what I mean. The Psalms come alive and they speak to us. But this is where it's also incredible because the Psalms don't just speak to us. I said this before. The Psalms have this incredible ability to also speak for us. See, every other book of Scripture speaks to us. Every other book of scripture was designed and written to speak to us, to tell us who God is, to tell us who we are, to tell us how we are to approach him. Every other book does that. Where Psalms differs is that Psalms was intentionally written not just to speak to us, but written to speak for us. When Psalms were written, they were written to be recited. The Psalms were written to be prayed. The Psalms were written to be sung. In other words, the Psalms were written to be done, not merely read. And so the Psalms invite us into this. And so what you see over thousands of years of both Christians and Jews have gone to the Psalms and they have used it as their devotional book. They have spoken it back to God. Do you ever wonder what Jesus sang when he went to little Jewish Saturday school? 
Like when he's a little boy, what are the songs they taught him? They taught him the Psalms. This is the stuff that we have gone to time and time again. And for whatever reason, it's kind of fallen out of fashion now in our culture. We don't go to the Psalms. We go to Max Lucado, or we go to Tim Keller, or we go to John Piper. We go to some other writer, more contemporary. Look, the Psalms have been the ones that for thousands of years the church has gone to and spoken out of. And the Psalms have this incredible ability. The reason we have taken Psalms and put them into our prayers and put them into our worship songs is because the Psalms have this incredible ability to take a thought, an idea, a concept, a feeling, and name it. They do this so well. When you're praying and you're like, I I don't know how to describe God, but your mind is saturated with the Psalms, you naturally go to the language of the Psalms and you speak it. Oh Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name. That's out of the Psalms. God, how great is your love and your faithfulness endures forever. Look, those aren't John's words. That's me taking them right out of scripture. Typically when I pray, I'm stealing from scripture. Okay? The Psalms were intended for that. The Psalms were intended for you to take and put into your prayers, put into our worship songs. We've already sung Psalms. We're going to continue to sing Psalms. We do this consistently. And I told you before, the Psalms are like a good song quote, a good song lyric, a book quote, a movie quote. If you've ever been around somebody that does this, right, where, they, where music speaks to them or books speak to them or movies speak to them, they have this ability when they're communicating to you to not use their words, but to rely on what Yoda said or rely on what Jay-Z said. Well, you probably don't hang out with a lot of people that quote Jay-Z, but the kids, they quote Jay-Z, you know, or whatever. And they quote these people because they think that that person said it well. The Psalms do that for us. But the Psalms, more than just being able for us to take them and put them into our prayers, the Psalms have this incredible ability for us to take our prayers, our thoughts, our emotions, our feelings, our ideas, those things that we're not able to express, and we're able to pack them into the Psalms and speak them back to God. Jesus modeled this for us. When he was on the cross, there's this moment where he's just in complete agony and he doesn't know what to say. I mean, you can just imagine. Theologians talk about this and there's no real proof for this, but this gives you an idea of what's going on. Theologians say at this moment, when Jesus says these words, is the moment when he was separated from the Father. At this moment is when the weight of all of humanity's sin hit him. And so what's going through his mind? How does he express that pain, that fear, that sensation of loneliness, that detachment from the Father? What does he do? He can't express that. So he takes these emotions, these feelings, these fears, and he dumps them into the one thing he's incredibly familiar with because he's been singing since a child. He goes to a psalm and he just speaks it out. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He dumps all of his emotions into this psalm and speaks it back to God. He doesn't elaborate. He doesn't go, now let me tell you why I said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I actually wanted you to think of Psalm 22, and it means this, and it means this, and this is how I'm actually... No! He wasn't in a space to do that. He wasn't in a space to fully communicate how he felt. So he dumped it into a psalm and spoke it to God. The psalms speak for us. The Psalms speak to us. When you understand how to read the Psalms, they come alive. I told you my goal was to be as practical as possible today. 
Everything we've talked about is something that you can go and do yourself. Every single thing we've talked about, whether you're a new Christian or you've been in church forever, every one of us longs for a deeper, more intimate relationship with God. Every one of us longs to hear from God, speak to God, be known by God, and know God. Every one of us. And you're thinking, well, how do I do that this week? Where do I go from? Church, pick up this book and just start reading the Psalms. For thousands of years, this is what people have done. And when you do, when you say, okay, Lord, I want to listen to you and I want to respond to you, you're going to realize this book comes alive. And I think the thing that sticks out to me more than anything else about this book is how incredible it is that it shows more than anything that God wants a relationship with us. Do you ever think about that in this book? We always talk about we want a relationship with God. We want a real relationship with God. Okay, when you look at the book of Psalms, you see a God who's not only revealing himself to you, the real side of who he is, he's speaking his mind, he's sharing what he desires, he's sharing what's on his heart, he's speaking to you. But God also intentionally gave us a book to speak back to him, to interact with him, because we realize we don't know how to do this. We need some help. He gave us this book, but more than that, when you look at the rest of Scripture, and we have been studying the entire Old Testament this entire year, and what have we seen? God is in consistent pursuit of us. God loves us so much. He has done everything he can to be in relationship with us. God so loved you that he sent his one and only son to be in relationship with you, to live among us, to teach us, to die for us, so that whoever believes in him shall not perish, like Psalm 2 said. Remember? There's only one way, two ways to live. There's God's way and there's really no way. So you shall not perish, but so that you may live. From the beginning, God has intended us to be in relationship with him, and he invites you into a relationship as well. Church, I assume that's where you're at, and I assume that's what you're longing for. And so this week, hear the Lord's invitation. Enter into his presence. Listen to what he has to say and respond to him. Typically, I conclude a prayer or a sermon with a prayer every week because I believe That again, in modeling what Psalm 1 and Psalm 2 says, that when God speaks, we're called to respond to him. I believe in preaching, God speaks. Well, this morning as we pray, I want to invite you to pray with me. Pray with me the words of Psalm 100, as again, these psalms speak for us. Say with me. Shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful songs. Know that the Lord is God. It is he who made us, and we are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. For the Lord is good, and his love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generations. Amen.